in case you didn't know what you wandered into. Um, this is a small group discussion around understanding disability, identity, and artistic practice. Um, I just wanted to start off by acknowledging the first people of this land whose wisdom and generosity we are constantly learning from. Where we are in history and what precedes us informs how we work and how we move forward. So I'd like to pay my respects to the traditional owners of this land, the Wajak people of the Noongar Nation, and pay respects to their elders past, present, and emerging. Um, my name's Rachel. I am a white woman with kind of shoulder-length brown hair that's a little bit wavy, I have greeny bluey eyes um, and I have long lanky boots. Um, I identify as neurodiverse um, and I also identify as having a disability. Um, I'm going to be facilitating this uh, discussion today. Um, we've got uh, four fabulous artists here, Crystal Bruno, Julia and Daly. I'll get them to introduce themselves in a moment. Um, but they're all artists who are here part of the hub, which is amazing. Um, don't mind me as I check my notes, and I'm also going to set myself a timer to make sure that I don't run over time. Um, timing is not my favourite thing. <laughs> um, I may also be getting nudges from Simone over here because she's also my backup timer. Chance to 
listen and for these guys to share their experience. Um, so yeah, I invite you to take that in and um, yeah, and then we'll have a bit of a chat about it and about how we all think about disability and what that is. Um, also want to acknowledge that um, we have a great diverse guest list here, but we um, we are only five people, <laughs> and there is a much wider community, some of them who are here today, which is really great to see, um, but also acknowledging that one size doesn't fit all. So um, something that I say, for example, that I do identify as part of the disability community. Um, not all people who are neurodiverse do. <laughs> um, so acknowledging that um, people do have different experiences beyond ours here as well. Um, the other thing that I'd love to acknowledge is that I feel like when we start talking about disability, sometimes the language around it can feel really tricky Funky, and everybody gets a bit tiptoey about what to say and how to say it. And am I going to say the wrong thing? Um, should I be saying disabled person or person with a disability or you know all of those sorts of things? Um, and I'd like to invite in this space. Um, I feel like when people get so caught up in that it stops them asking the questions that need to be asked. So I invite in this space for you to have a go at asking those questions um, and to let others help you when, um, if there's a better way to phrase it, feel free to be like, I'm saying this, but as I'm saying this, it's coming out sounding not quite how I want. Um, acknowledge that we're all here in this space um, coming from a space of kindness and respect and wanting to learn, even if the language that we each have isn't quite there yet. Um, yeah, so with that, I invite our four guests to very quickly introduce themselves. Um, I'm going to also invite them to do a quick audio description um, of themselves as well. Yeah, who wants to start? Mm -hmm. Alright. Uh, hi everybody, my name's Bruno. Uh, I'm a white man in his late 30s. <laughs> That's very important to see. I'm a white man in his late 30s. I'm wearing some black jeans, a blue shirt, over a white shirt, and a black hat. I've got a shirt down there. I'm using a new one. Jordan also just say what you do as an artist, oh, just nice quickly, and right. two words. Uh, I'm a contemporary artist, so I make uh, lots of different work, and in the last four years, really, it's sort of been about my experience of disability. Even though I've always been disabled, I've not always made work about disability, and it's, it's sort of like a very recent transition, and a decision on my part, on my part, to actually
friends that I uh, had once when I was in year six, and I just decided to do it again, so moment. Um, I'm wearing a floral dress of green and pink, and I use an electric wheelchair. Um, my practices include being a performer and writer. Hi everyone, I'm Julia Hales. I am a, a performing artist and I have my disability in Down syndrome and I'm proud of it. So what I do, I sort of write up projects and get some new creative ideas. And so then I kind of turn it to my producer and then we get together and do something. <laughs> different way. 
puts it on the radar yeah. for any governing body or any institution that I'm working with at that point, if that makes sense. Like, some people, they don't like taking the box, but for me, it's like, at least there's a box. Yeah, a box to tick so that people, because not every space has wheelchair access, not every stage, I feel, can just do it. Stage is yeah. notoriously difficult to get yeah. on, I feel. Or when, um, for me, I have a more physical disability that is just, I'm like, yep, that's how, you're in a chair, yes, you're disabled. You know, it's easy to spot, but when they don't meet me, when I'm on paper, or when I'm in a, writing a resume, that's the only way I can just close. Um, what I'm about, and uh, that's where the freedom comes from. Um, the limitation comes from the preconceived notion that someone's never met anyone like me, or understand that it's a case by case, or that we have a plethora of experiences in this spectrum of disability. Um, they manifest every half um, dreams and hopes and um, ideas that manifest in different ways. So, yeah, I just don't ramble. <laughs> no, it's, it's great to hear that that idea of that double-edged sword of being, in a way, um, the idea of disability and embracing that as an identity can be really freeing for allowing people to know. Um, and but that also preconceived notions of disability can be incredibly limiting. I mean, it, it, it's that thing of, you know, 
interesting that you have the energy to sustain that as well. And, um, because I think, you know, some, pe some people can't necessarily sustain that of it not working. Um, but it's a cool concept of subverting ideas. We were talking about um, what disability means to you. Yeah, I might pull that up and see how it goes. <laughs> <laughs> um, when I was growing up for my childhood, I didn't realise that I had Down syndrome until my parents told me. And so I didn't really identify myself as Down syndrome back then. But now I do. Because I, I come to show everyone of my show of being with all together. Down syndrome is a part of me and I'm selling that in my life what I do. Mm. You know, and I just to me it feels like I, I can do anything. Really. Yeah. And, and I kind of explore that a bit more with my other friends with Down syndrome on the stage with me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you've got a really strong community of people around you. Yeah, because um because when I say that if I'm a leader in my community, the Down syndrome girl community, and so they, they all look up to me and say, wow, you know, you've, you've done amazing shows, you've got a great everything around you, but the most support, like what to my family and my friends and you guys, Even though I might, my brain might work differently to somebody else's, I don't actually know how anybody else's brain works. <laughs> like, this is a really hard thing. Like, I've never, um, me personally, I haven't actually experienced having a neurotypical brain. So, um, more commonly aware of like my brain and how it works, and then realize, in, like, rather than. Like disability is a difference, but it's also just me. It's, it's just me as an individual. Um, yeah. I hate the word though, disability. Like I really think it's it's got such a negative connotation. It's like this straight away, like less than somehow. That's just something that I struggle with. Like I really want there to be a better word for it. That's not those negative connotations. So if anyone's got Wildflower? Wildflower. Yeah. Growing in the cracks in the weeds. I would usually just say differently able. Differently able. Yeah. That's the word that I. You don't like that. I'm the same as Crystal. I don't like. I don't like that word either. But I can acknowledge that other people would prefer it. It's an interesting question. This idea of the word of disability having negative connotations um, and and what do you do? Do you change the word or do you, do you change the connotations around the word? Yeah. Um, I think as opposed to when you dis means it's not something, right? So what's the other side of the coin is the ability, right? So I think um, words that have very limited vocabulary 
able-bodied person, right? There's something lacking, but it could just be that we're different. It doesn't mean less than or more than, so I don't see the dis as something um, negative. I see it as a differentiation between persons of like binary about it that
And to be able to share that stuff with employers or with fellow artists, it's hard because this is stuff that for me is normal, but for other people it's like, oh, that sounds like it's life-changing, like, but actually it's just another week, you know? And so I think the language around those kinds of things is yet to be built and actually shows that in the mental health field and in the places where it's connected with disability, some of that language to be able to describe actual access needs in terms of our lives is still lacking, regardless of the fight for access, the visible access. Invisible access is still, I find, very lacking. Yeah, it's a, I, I feel like I've probably had a similar experience with you um, going through a process of being diagnosed um, is a really interesting and freeing Thing I found personally um, to understand that maybe my brain is working differently from somebody else's, but also inherently in the process of diagnosis, I found there was also the so much of the talk was about um, your brain not being able to do something, your brain. Um, not being the same as everybody else's, your brain not being right, and you somehow being broken. You somehow being that idea that somebody else said as well that idea of being like less than. Um, and so, while diagnosis was very freeing, it also took me a long time to understand disability as something more than being less than. Like, right? we are. A, uh, as individuals are different, but we're not less human. We're still humans. We still we we still do like everything you do. We may do it in a different way, but we still do it. Um, and that yeah, that was a really big realization for me. That um, for me, it came through um, this idea that of like a social model. Um, which I know, Crystal, you kind of do relate a little bit to the social world as well. Have this idea that individuals have impairments, but that what is actually disabling for them is um, the society around them. Um, so it's the structures and the environments, um, and it's how people react and relate to you. I spent you know, 20, 20 years building up a certain persona, because that's what a lot of folks I find have done. Because um, you kind of build up this charisma that's your shield. <laughs> so actually in the arts, in the last few years, I've had to strip back this charismatic bullshit. It's not, excuse my language. That's not me. And kind of find space to be myself and exist as myself, which is actually often a lot quieter smaller than I kind of give out. But in the, in the arts especially, where everyone's very kind of connected emotionally, that's actually destroyed some relationships because um, people haven't realized that this journey is like being yourself. <laughs> they kind of think that you're wanting to be like, no, I'm actually trying, I'm not doing this journey of trying to just be myself. I'm not sure how relatable it is, but in that way, there's a lot of assumptions made based on perhaps that 
shield that folks might have out. Yeah. And I think about back history of dancing down how they used to get treated back in the day. And I used that to educate people to make sure that, that they weren't happy with getting to the future. And that's how I feel like that that kind of reason that you stayed with me and it still is. But I just wanted to bring that out so that people will understand how we felt back then. And it's like I didn't got into that thing back then because I didn't I wasn't born until I think it's interesting as well with intergenerational conversations because, as you mentioned, there was a certain point not too long ago where folks with various experiences of existing were very much actively treated in ways that are quite disturbing to think about now. And I, 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 I don't have a lot of intergenerational mentors or people to talk to or connect with and actually, <laughs> and I think, and that's quite, quite telling, yeah, in a way that there's kind of a visibility now, but it's always been there. It's not some kind of yeah, news. We, we suddenly didn't all just, like, disabled people didn't suddenly rock up, you know, the last five years. No. They've been around, but they've just been out of sight and hidden away, yeah. Might also be disability itself is like a Victorian concept in my lifetime. Like the word itself is kind of like. Very good point. Did you know that, Simone? Well, we know that a lot of our approaches to people who are outside the norm were imported by, you know, people, colonial kind of um, people came in to settle the colony and the various colonies around our country. So they're imported from the England. Um, so the attitude is anyone who is a disturbance to our society, who is different, um, can be warehoused with, you know, some, someone who with a disability can be warehoused with someone who is a rapist and a murderer. So people were promiscuously warehoused. Um, together in our institutions in WA, in the Roundhouse and the Fremantle Arts Centre, what is now the Fremantle Arts Centre, which was a Fremantle Asylum and the Claremont Asylum. When did that stop? They started um, uh, closing down for the children uh, in 1966 with Guy, um, Dr. No, no, that's the um, fellow who um, named Down syndrome, um, Dr. Langer Down. But there was uh, a guy who was a doctor guy, and I'll find out his surname for you all. Um, he came out from the UK and went to, became the doctor appointed surgeon at Claremont and was so um, disturbed that he immediately started to agitate for for children, there was a 50% mortality in that particular asylum. So between 1966 and 1982, slowly got everyone out and they closed Swanbourne down because they had warehoused everyone in Swanbourne who had an intellectual mm. or other disability. Yeah. It was well known what was happening, used to happen back there. 
and not I personally would like to see him but I know it's wrong but I would actually personally like to take him you know, I think it's something that needs to be all in Sophia's face I think it needs to be reenacted and so for education because yeah. it, it wasn't that long ago no it wasn't when you think about it um, yeah and I think you could educate a lot of people yeah and this kind of leads me on to my next question which is about um how you practice disability pride. Because um, I think that idea of bringing it out into the theatre space is about being visible and being proud and accepting who you are. Um, so yeah, I've got you guys. What are, some, what are some ways that you practice disability pride and what are some things that make it difficult to be proud? Or if you don't have to I mean, like, I'm proud of who I am, but I would say practice. I don't really mean disability pride is like a feeling, I guess. I, I can guess it, sort of like what it means, but I just live my life as like how I want to do it and enjoy myself as much as possible. I'm not ashamed of my body, I go to the pools, I go to the beach, people stare at my legs, and I do it, I'm wearing some cool trunks. You know? <laughs>
explore what, 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 what our future looks like. That, that sense of community and, and learning from others and from the like you would in any uh, uh, human experience or, or job, even, you know, actively. In a way, I feel like certain people of, you know, a recent generation, the generation after this kind of stuff closed down, um, have almost found themselves becoming mentors to new people. And it's kind of, not that it's, that didn't happen before, but you didn't really have a right to be a mentor before a certain point. So it's this really interesting time where a new generation of people are coming through. And it's still all in flux at the moment. There's no, I find there's no answers to what kind yeah. of... It's, it's kind of a weird thing as well, like talking about community, disability culture, what that means. It's like, because we're all so different. Like, when we talk about culture, what a lot of people understand is culture is passed down through generations. So if you're Maori and you have Maori then there's a culture there that's being distilled, whereas with disability, unless you both your parents are the same, then how do you have that link to that community and that culture? Like my parents are both able-bodied. When I was growing up, we were like special schools and controlling and showed my class I was in the normal high school. And I didn't see anyone else in the wheelchair until I was like, I don't know, 12, 13, something like that. I didn't have that like reference point. We, we, we were even discussing um, today, like, well, even when we first came to the hub, being like, there's five people with disabilities in a room together. This is like, sometimes that's exciting because you've got to, you've got to kind of search them out as your, as your peers, and um, yeah, it's a, it's a thing. Of, I know the first time. I sat in a room with an entire uh, group of um, people with disabilities. Um, was at a conference called Arts Access Australia at Meeting Place, um, which was in Perth a couple of years ago. And I sat in that room and just cried because I'd never been in a room like that before. I'd never felt like I. Um, yeah, like not knowing these people. Um. Do you know what would be even nicer to be in one of those rooms for the artistic director or the curator or you know, the, the head of operations or whatever to have a disability control? Because that's happened to me once and the rest of the time. something that was so wild. 
you're the first person that we've ever seen with a disability. So you must know all. You must become the modern missionary. You must carry the torch. I will come to you and ask all about access needs. And, oh, you're 15? No, I've never seen anyone before. You must have all the knowledge. Um, and so I, I came out of that, that experience feeling like, okay, there's so many things that I'm perceived as. I had no sense of self. I was like, okay, if they want me to be an advocate, I'll be an advocate. What does that mean? Um, and so I, my journey of coming to terms with that disability pride came from learning it the hard way, is that maybe I don't know how to define it because people have been defining it for me for most of my adolescence. Um, so I, when I moved to Perth um, five years ago, I um, came across this, I guess, thing called, I forgot who it was from, but it became my life philosophy where it's like, well, maybe existing in a disabled body is a political movement itself or it. I don't have to do the emotional labor. I don't have to always scream on the top of my lungs. I can just go to the pool and <laughs> one piece. I can have, you know, uh, I can experience um, queerness. I can do whatever I want. I can eat ice cream. I don't have to always think this will be an activist, like, you know, image that can fit into or can make you feel better about yourself. I don't have to be that inspiration, the beacon of light. I can just be. <laughs> Um, and that to myself has always been, not always, has it become a relief that I relieve on myself, that pressure to be something else, to speak for everybody, <laughs> um, because we're not, you know, we're just individuals trying our best. And I think this is a universal experience that we can all, in this room, we can all experience at some point, feeling like you don't belong or feeling like you have to become an advocate for your community. But Maybe just existing it yourself with all flaws and all can be helpful for someone else in the community to see that and go, oh my God, they're just living normally. That's great. And so another way I practice pride is when I get, I've actually luckily never been typecast as a person in a wheelchair. Which yeah, is kind of like, that. yeah, knock on wood. <laughs> but I think it's because with theater, it's less, it's more, um, uh, the experience with the audience more immediate, and um, there's more room to take risks, I think, with producers or directors, so they don't, or the, the unconventional look and aesthetic of us, like, still, I don't know, sell tickets or get grants? I don't know if that makes any sense. It's a unique selling point on a theater platform, in my experience. Whereas with screen, as I'm trying to get more into screen, I think the bigger the production, the less the safer it has to be, and so there's less room for me to even be um, auditioning or be a part of any project. So I think that I can do what I can now on any theater stage that I can be, and just be myself, but I'd rather be. Um, and then so I love it when audience comes up and they're like, oh my god, I've never seen an actor with disability before. I'm like, well, there are many of us. <laughs> I, I can give you like a list, but um, like hire us, cast us, you know? That's what I've been doing at the moment in yeah. my traffic agents, because they've been getting these auditions and starting in the movies and that kind of thing. It's an interesting point how underrepresented people with disabilities are on stage and screen. 
Sometimes you do just have to write or make the work. But in doing that, you show you show other people who you might not know have the same experiences that they can do it too. Sometimes, you know, and I think being unafraid to make the work is then I suppose it's like, will that work get platformed in a way that can then show up, like invite other people in the community? That's, I feel like that's good. Because the work's being made, 100% of the work's being made. It's being made every day, like I feel. But there's a difference between work that gets platformed and therefore can make people feel welcome in the community and work that just is invisible. And all art is valuable, but. But I've come back to Dragon since being like Renegan, since Ben and I, we sit um, as a group together. And I told her about my dreams, about like, everything from my words that she helped me to put down on the computer together and we did a lot of research in there. You know, it feels good to like going with people. Yeah, that, your collaboration with Julia, with, with Finn and with Claire as well, I think is a really, interesting case um, for sharing ideas and experiences but in a way that it remains an authentic representation of the experience. Yeah, and I've got that through with Wendy Marvin from the Perspectival. Yeah. I mean, she, she, she actually saw my Finding Love interviews and mm. she loved them and so she came to Dada with Simone and I and so she said, would you like to move your work forward? And I think that's the other important thing is that artists with a disability sometimes make work but it doesn't end up in mainstream arts avenues. It what? ends up in like this like uh, I was gonna be like I was gonna be like fat streets disability. <laughs> <laughs>
Okay, and uh, so I think there are parallels when you think about um, uh, queer identity being mm -hmm. halfway there. Some of it is just a time thing. I mean, I came out in 1985, and it's so weird to think that at that time there was a real stigma around that it was not like And it was rare to see queer people yeah. on stage. And yet now I have teenage children
that there's no balance of shows. Why one in five shows a year doesn't feature or is directly about experiences doesn't have to be. You know, we're aware everyone's actually just making work about whatever human experience, but actually kind of being like, well, these are what we see as the challenges because we can sit here and talk all day, but, <laughs> but, but it's not going to change what, the, 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 we don't know what the perceived barriers are, how we're supposed to answer. And I think it's, a, it's an interesting point and I think you definitely can get caught up with these ideas of problems and you know what, I don't, I don't have solutions for any of these problems. Um, but what I think is so important is that we have space to share experience mm -hmm. and to hear from you guys your experience um, from listening to us as well. Um, because without that, you, you're not going to solve any problems. Um, yeah. I'm hearing a lot of to move forward and to accelerate this progress, as Frankie's saying. Of course, this time will change, but there's a lot of faith that I have in allies and collaborators without the lived experience who are educated, who are sitting here today listening to us, wanting to work with us. Um, I think that is going to accelerate the conversation and that we need to keep having. Um, and sometimes it's okay to not have the answer yet, but if we keep asking questions, that's how things occur, right? I, I was I was in a movie three summers. We'll come back to you, Christy. Michelle, just behind you has something to say. Yeah. Uh, I think I have two. The first thing is um, I don't know if anyone has seen the new Shira cartoon on Netflix, but it captures autistic and she's awesome. Um, and this is like the timeline of visibility because it's also atypical on Netflix, which is wonderful. But the discussions around atypical are that only the lead actor is on the spectrum, but I think his family, um, I, I don't want to label anybody, but if, like something that I personally love about the show is the, the, the spectrum of personalities on that show. And I, I, I think that's the thing about the timeline of visibility where the more these things that keep coming up and then springboarding off of so many points and then on that I think a big thing that we haven't done yet maybe enough is talking about the visibility and like personally I haven't gone public about my brain and I think that's this nervousness uh, about it but I think even if you enlist allies if one in five people because having any sort of mental health um, mental health uh, anxiety and depression is an, is an access need, it's a disability, and if we can, you know how the pronoun use on Instagram, I know it's so trivial and social media, but pronoun use on Instagram is a way to be an ally to queer people or to people who, who are under the spectrum of gender. If we could advocate being under the spectrum of diversity, and it, if you struggle with anxiety and you can go public about that, you champion this idea that we're all we're all facing something, and like I can champion, I'm pursuing a ASD diagnosis, like, because that's great. It's cool. Everyone I know who's on the spectrum is awesome, especially my dad. Um, yeah, 
that's an idea I had maybe, just visibility, one in five people being visible about it and talking about it. And, and then the works we're in are just, they're just works of art and, and we champion being disabled and working in a, in a story that's part of everyone's story. Yeah. It's, 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 that, it's that perception of us in the media. It's the way we're yeah. being shown in the media. I mean, living with echotroplasia uh, and growing up, and like seeing various TV shows where characters who look like me were treated as jokes, as punchlines, and only now starting to see that and wasn't being very unaware of it until I, I got more involved with the arts myself, uh, seeing that like people living with various disabilities, not just Claudia, uh, seeing how everyone was being mistreated in that. And I think as we, as society is starting to portray us, uh, him and that better life, that might be one of those steps, but also it requires a bit of that advocacy from us, from our allies, and like that, that shift with time, it doesn't just happen by itself, yeah. it, 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 needs that, it needs that push, it needs a, a big push, a big shove.
where possible, let uh, make sure things are disability led. Um, I think there's such a misconception of people who have disability capability, um, and you know, it's the idea of the people. I don't know if this has happened to either of you who like come and be like, "I'm really helpful. I'm going to push you in this wheelchair," but not. And take you to the place where you actually want to go. Um, so that, uh, yeah, having stuff that's disability-led. Great example of that. The wonderful Simone sitting right beside me, making sure, um, getting to everybody and facilitating everybody. Um, but the chance for even this conversation to be disability-led was something really important to me. Um, and when I said that. To put them in line, the fact that they were like, okay, <laughs> is, is great. <laughs> um, Can I yeah. just start, like, if you want to like, be an ally to the community, I think more importantly, how can I be an ally to the community? I think you've got to make an individual action. So it's more about being mates with someone that's got a disability <laughs> than, like, necessarily being part of the community because then. That, that's a lot more, lot more organic way and a lot more Too hard, you know. 
But if you want to make a space more accessible, ask me what my actual needs are. Don't assume accessibility needs because mine, and some of them might be different on different days or change or shift. And some of them might be not as palatable. Like I, I really struggle with time blindness and time management so much. And, or, and um, overstimulation in a rehearsal environment can be a big problem. And if you cast me as a nun in your opera, if you make me, like that's fine, but if you make me kneel for nine hours, I'm gonna have trouble. Like, I'm gonna, I'm gonna dislocate my knee. We all look. <laughs> but like the amount of times I've been like, really in trouble with directors for not being able to sort of fulfill those requirements of a role that I've been cast in is shocking. And I think like, I just wish people would actually talk to you more about yeah. your needs and not be frightened to just ask. I think that's the big one for me, and I know I said that to ask me what my access needs were at the start of this hub, and I was like, good question. <laughs> um, to be quite honest, not entirely sure, not entirely sure what situations I'm going to get thrown into. <laughs> um, there'll be things that pop up over time, and uh, I'll, I'll tell you if they pop up. Um, and yeah, offering that space that is generous and flexible for change is really great. Yeah, absolutely. Great job on that. Just on that and like uh, having a conversation about it, obviously a huge way to do this, but like um, how, because I'm an amazing freelance producer, um, and how can we produce works that are accessible more so than just making sure that it's in an accessible venue? Like how can we actually make it actively accessible to um, the community of people who identify with disability or maybe people who even don't necessarily identify with a disability? That's what we kind of, Okay, so it's not like how to get that dollar. Sorry, can you? Like how to get the dollar, like how to get people with dollars. purple dollars. I haven't. <laughs> <laughs> so it's like the money that comes from people with disabilities, like retail industry misses out on something like 1.5 trillion dollars a year, I think, because they don't market to people with disabilities. It might be 1.5 billion, but not too good if you want it. So it's a big one.
where we, where we just didn't prioritize using those because it wasn't the, the, the message we were getting back from our audiences was that we weren't sure that it was for us or our child because it didn't look like us in that photo of the material. It just felt really basic or all. That felt like a really easy signpost because that's who we were making work for. So um, just put the, the, the other pictures aside and focus on the work. And it's not about disability porn, it's about actually just showing that this is what it is. representation really quickly. I don't know if you guys are on TikTok. It yeah. sounds ridiculous, but there is so much. I'm on the reg getting like, as a, I make a tiny bit of content about equitability and that kind of stuff in the arts. I get 20,000 views talking about this. I have thousands of people who follow me. There's obviously an appetite and there's lots of disabled creators and suddenly just being able to make a video on your phone and talk about it is making it so much easier to have these conversations. So search some hashtags, go on, go on this one. What, sorry, what are the good hashtags for? Yeah, things like disability in the arts, like, okay. like um, arts, inclusion, accessibility, that's the stuff, like as a start, and then your algorithm will help you. Yeah, if you like, yeah, hashtag, like on any social media, looking through kind of hashtags, like of what you're kind of interested in and about, someone will be there who has some gem or you can connect with, but then it's actually making the effort to then connect with them or reach out. And if they don't have the energy to, they'll probably let them know. Alex, no, I was just thinking about audiences and I was just thinking about how you offered very quickly about having this like, and Simone as well, about having relaxed spaces. And I was just also thinking about how in children's theatre there has been a shift towards relaxed performances where there's kind of permission to make noise move around and that kind of um, sense of welcoming. So it's just interesting to think about that for adults as well maybe and wonder about those kinds of offers out. I mean, theatre and a kid in general as, as it has classically been for someone who has talked to others about it, like, is, is by its nature inaccessible in terms of audience expectations. Like, it, it just is. And I think looking at those kinds of behind the board or also in front of them, like, how those spaces are classically, I don't fear this very specifically, how we can look at welcoming audiences in. And like, I, I, I've loved some of the relaxed performances I've gone to, but there's also the argument why aren't it, why is that built in if that's your audience? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, oh, I was just saying, in terms of incorporating access, I know that for uh, the festival and some great shows and say WAU Theatre, they dedicate specific nights for that have Auslan interpreters as a minimum, like a bare minimum, and that's the kind of access that I would love to see it's like a compulsory um, component when putting on a show, not just, oh, because we're nice, so we do it. I guess all I'll say on that is that it's the impossibility of resources for indies. Yeah. Like, you book an Auslan interpreter, they're going to get paid more on that night than the team will for delivering yeah, the show. Yeah. And so, like, this is an area I'm very interested in and, like, working on, but how to lo-fi hack these systems that cost so much money so much more than the budget of the whole show yeah. to try and make it work like that it's it's been an issue forever and so resources is what allies yeah. need yeah. resources <laughs> I, as i say very 
down for this conversation, but, but the that is my timer going on. Um, so I highly suggest that like, if people do want to continue talking about discovering better ways for access, let's have a chat. There is stuff there. Um, but I did just want to say thank you. And so, Arthur, did you want to organise a small group discussion around that next week? Like, is that an action or like a thing? Do you want to try and drive to? Like. Could I even get a couple of people to volunteer to drive that? In if people are like interested, do you want to come huddle in, huddle in this direction? <laughs> yeah, I'll come chat. After yeah, yeah right. right. Um, but I just wanted to say thank you to all of you guys for coming um, and talking about disability and allowing this space for us to be humans, to be real and not imaginary. Um, to be visible um, and to not be too scared to come and talk to us, I suppose. Um, and I'd like to acknowledge you guys. Thank you for sharing your experiences and talking. I think it's great to have such a diverse group and a really wonderful thing that there is like at least five artists in the hub that identify as having a disability. Um, I can say looking around the room right now and knowing people, half the people in this room. <laughs> so like, and if that's surprising to you, you can learn from that. Um, but I think, I think it's so valuable that we are able to be here and be in the hub and be visible. So thank you to Performing Lines and thank you to My Place who has sponsored uh, positions and Peter sponsored oh, yeah. your one as well. Um, <laughs> 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 <laughs>